So a few weeks ago, we started this series on recentering, and our big overarching idea and theme is this, the community of Jesus continually recalibrates or recenters on the gospel of Jesus. This has been our, our big idea. To, to help us walk through this idea of recentering, we were asking three questions. The first one was, how are we to be led? And we looked at Acts 1 and how God leads his people. And then also, second to that, who are we? And then Jim followed up with the who are we last week to ask, who do we hunger for? What do we hunger for? And then this week, we're going to look at this third question, what story shapes us? What is the story that shapes us? So we could look lots of places, but today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, or if not, we have little pew Bibles that are in the inside, in, on, on, on the pews, in the pews. You can open it up, look at 2 Timothy 3, it'll be up on the screen. We're going to do, um, not detailed with all of, the, I mean, this would take like 12 weeks to go through like in detail 2 Timothy 3, but we're going to do like the 5,000 foot view. Is that Okay. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is God's word to us this morning. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, Timothy, Paul continues, however, have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, Father, as we listen to ancient words now, we know that you spoke very directly by your Spirit through Paul to Timothy, and your Spirit is using those very same words to speak very directly and pointed to, pointed to, 
to the point, (laughs) to us today. So we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and our minds to be able to see the things that you want us to see, and above all, to recapture us and refocus us on our great King. We ask this in his name. Amen. So, what story shapes us? Everybody's life is actually a story. You are a living story. We are telling a story with our lives. We're living it out, and we're pointing to some idea of a story, of a narrative. My wife, I think it was this past week, it may have been the week before, came home and she told me a story. She, she's, uh, she works in one of the elementary schools in town. And she went out for a recess with some of her kids, and she saw a kid laying on the ground, and two kids were standing over him, punching his stomach. And so she walks over to him, and she's like, Get, go over to the bench. If you know my wife, you'll understand that this is how she does things. Very, very clear, very direct. So the kids go over to the bench, and she says, what are you doing? This looks like you're playing a pretty rough game. And so one of the kids says this, well, there's this game called Minecraft, A character in it eats something that the other character wants, and they have to get it out of him. We were playing that and needed to get it from him. (laughs) So my wife had a few choice words for the kids and said something about, um, you know, it's kind of against the rules to punch kids in the stomach at school and some other things. I'm sure she was very clear with them. And then she asked the kid who was being punched, she she asked, were you enjoying the game? And he said, no, it hurt, and I couldn't get up. Stories shape us. What stories are shaping us? What story is shaping us? It's the same, the answer to the question is the same answer as what centers us. So we're talking about this idea of being a a Jesus community. Well, it is this gospel of Jesus. That's the story that is the right answer, right? The reality is, one, some of us may not be followers of Jesus, but then two, even those of us who are followers of Jesus often find ourselves being centered and shaped by other stories in life. Do you understand what I mean? Well, we're going to talk through this. So I hope that we get this. So the follow-up question is naturally, how are we therefore to be shaped by the story? And when I refer to the story, I'm talking to the big story of this gospel. And Paul outlines a few responses to this question. He says, and we'll look at this, each of these are in each of the sections that we just read. Recognize stories that contrast the story. We need to recognize these other stories. Follow those who follow the story and then soak in the whole story. So this first one, recognize, understand is what Paul says here. That in the last days, which are the days that Timothy, he's writing this to the man Timothy in the last days which you're which you're in and which we are in they are there are difficult times coming difficult times the idea here of difficult the word there is can be fierce there are fierce times coming times of disharmony dis dishonesty disintegration why is this well because of how people are living how are they living lovers of self and money proud and arrogant abusive And he says they have this appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. They try to make themselves look like they are living the good life, and probably they honestly think that they are living for God. That's usually how this works. And what does he say about them? Avoid them. That's heavy. Avoid them. And he's talking to 
the community of Jesus' people, right? So he, he deals with the fact that we, you don't avoid them when we go into the world. We should expect this in the world. In uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he deals with that reality. You don't avoid them in the world. What he's saying here is when those who claim to be followers of Christ live this way without repentance, don't allow them to shape the community you're in. Now here comes the problem. How often am I one of those people that you should avoid? Like, ask my children. There are times in my life where I am the self-loving one, the proud and arrogant one, and in all honesty, my kids need to avoid me at that point because that does not need to shape them. We need to recognize it. We can't pretend like it's not a reality. It's something we have to face, Paul says. But what is it really that we're recognizing? Yes, there's life and there's behavior. But I think it's going to help like, to move into this to recognize what's underneath the behavior. To look for why people live a certain way, what is it that they love, what is motivating us to live life. When we start recognizing this, we're getting a window into the story that people believe. This is where we want to go. Does this make any sense? Okay, hopefully it will make more sense as we go along. If our life is driven by a love of self or arrogance that tries to appear godly, what's underneath that? What is it we actually believe? Well, part of it, I think, is my life is my own. That's, just, that's where we're beginning to move. Our life is our own. The conservative response to this is, my money and my possessions are my own. Keep your hands off of it, right? And the liberal response is, my life and my body are my own. Keep your hands off of it, right? Either way, it pushes us towards this need to protect ourselves. If we live this way, what story are we actually hearing? What story are we actually believing? There may be a multitude of narratives, right? So we can't hit every single narrative. But I do think, because there are narratives that are going to grow this kind of life and this kind of fruit, I think that all of these narratives are going to be connected in some way to this. Your worth comes from yourself. This is, this is the story. Your worth comes from yourself. Therefore, the more you love and value yourself, the more you get others to value you, the more worth you have. If you can raise or inflate your stock, then you naturally become more valuable, right? If I can convince you, if I can convince you that my house is worth $800,000, which it is nowhere close to, okay? If I can convince you and you buy it, what's my house worth? It's worth $800,000 because you're the sucker that bought it, okay? If we're living this narrative, it often means that we have to define and defend our rightness and our value to ourselves and to each other. Do you see how this storyline produces pride and insecurity? Like, pride, very not always. Like, some people really think they're all that. But so often, pride is the cover of insecurity, isn't it? I know that I have done that. Self-love, self-hate, arrogance, and insecurity are rooted in a very similar story, which is what? A story that doubts you are loved consistently, that you are secure, 
by anyone outside of yourself. So you must look for that love and security within yourself or you have to suck it and manipulate it from the people around you. When we, when we do this, it tends to destroy us, is what Paul says. This is where the, the difficult, fierce times come. Because it destroys us, it destroys the people around us. The reason we live for ourselves and justify the way we live, the reason we struggle to confess wrong or or serve with genuine humility is because we believe the original anti-gospel, the original anti-story. You know what the original anti-story is, right? From the beginning of the whole story, no one else is going to love you as you need. No one can really care for you better than you can care for yourself. You have to look out for number one. Come on. Because as you all know, everyone else is more concerned about themselves than they are about me. So I better reach out and take the fruit of self-love and seize control of my own destiny. Isn't that the original lie? The original anti-story? You know what I'm referring to, right? Where do we see this story play out in the world? Where do we see it play out in our community? Where do you see it play out in your life right now? This is something for us each to ponder. Paul says, understand this, recognize it, don't dismiss your own or each other's behavior. We don't, we don't just dismiss this. But let's also address these rotten fruits of life that we all manifest at times at the root level, at the deeper narrative level. To be shaped by the gospel story, it helps to recognize the other stories that may unknowingly be shaping us. Does that make sense? So then moving into 10 through 14, Paul says in verse 10, however, you, Timothy, you followed a different story. Paul says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions, sufferings. So Paul was unique in his ability to tell young Timothy, follow me, right? He's an apostle, okay? He saw Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus anointed him, sent him out to be a proclaimer of the story. There is some, and he wrote like a lot of the Bible of the New Testament. He, there's a weightiness to who this guy is. So should Timothy follow Paul? Absolutely. Should you and I follow Paul? Yes, we should. He is an apostle, Okay. Second to that, we all need people we can follow who are following what we really follow, (laughs) right? If we're following this, sometimes we need others that are following this so that we know how better to follow this. Here's where I wrestle, okay? You're going to be invited into my wrestling. I don't like Paul pointing to himself. Actually, I don't mind Paul pointing to himself because of who Paul is. I just... I'm not real sure I struggle with how we apply that to our situations today, to each other today. Because when wrongly taken, this can be very dangerous and cause us to move off center if we start following someone else. You know what I'm saying? So this is a wrestling for me. But here's where I'm slowly coming around, right? I want to submit to God's word. So even though I struggle with it, that does not give me the right to say I'm not going to do this. So I'm I'm trying to wrestle through this. This is where I'm slowly coming. I know that I need to see people embody the story. I know that practically. 
We need to hear and to watch people in action. What does it look like to walk through the messiness of life? What does it look like? And we need to see other people that have done this. And then as we do that, as we're watching others and we follow others to a sense, right? As we follow others, others also learn to follow him by following us. This is beautiful and it's extraordinarily weighty. Which is also why maybe above everything else that we need for people to see in us as we follow him, what I want for people to see in me as I follow him is repentance. Because I'm going to mess up more than I get it right. And I am no one's hero. You are no one's hero. You are looking at the hero. And the way that people get to see the hero is to watch you bow before him in repentance and find him more beautiful than your life. Are people watching us and seeing what repentance looks like? We need each other. Please, but please, but please don't blindly follow anyone other than the one. Everyone that you follow will get it wrong at some point. So we must humbly look for and recognize the good and the bad, but refuse to put anybody up on that pedestal. Don't do it. Don't do it while at the same time remembering God does shape us as we follow others who are being shaped by him. Then we're moving into 15 through 17 verses, soaking in this whole story. All right, how are we to know if someone is actually embodying the story or if they're falling short? Like, that's fair. We're following other people because they're helping us, but how do we know if they're getting it right or wrong? Verse 14 But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise. Where do you find the story? The sacred writings. What are the sacred writings? Well, for Timothy, it was the Hebrew Scriptures, the First Testament. We call it the Old Testament. And even as he's receiving this letter, he's receiving the sacred writings that God is giving through Paul, right? And we get that through the apostles, these sacred writings. Timothy was acquainted with the Old Testament. He was acquainted with it, according to this text, from childhood. He was a good Jewish boy, which probably meant he was saturated, maybe much to his dismay, with the sacred writings. He was soaking in it. So for us, we are shaped as we soak in the story of the Bible. There is no way to follow Jesus and to be shaped by Jesus from what I can see. Yes, we need others, but we need the story. We have to soak in the story. Listen to it. Study it. Meditate on it. Teach it. Listen to others. Teach it. Sink into it. Drown in it. Take a shower in it. Through it, we gain knowledge. Not just knowledge, though, but wisdom, he says. Wisdom, discernment, it's able to make you wise. It cultivates in us wisdom for life. But specifically, he says wisdom for what? What did he say in verse 15? Wisdom for salvation. Okay, salvation from what? Like salvation is from something. What is salvation from? Well, the context of the, let's keep it in context. Like this, don't just go to some religious answer. What's the context here? You might guess it's salvation from the contrasting stories of the world of self-love and the need to appear godly. Oh, it's salvation from self-love and the need to appear godly. How so? 
through faith in Jesus. That's what he says. The whole of the sacred writings are leading us somewhere. Paul says the somewhere is Jesus. He is the point, he's the fulfillment of the, he's the hero of the story. This is what the whole New Testament is about. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's not the replacement of the old part of the story. After Jesus' resurrection, he is, he comes, there's two guys that are walking to a place called Emmaus. This is in Luke 24. Walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus comes alongside them, and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what just happened. Jesus, this great guy, he was killed, and now we can't find his body. This is how the story goes. They're whiners. This is my picture of them. So he comes alongside them. For some reason, they don't recognize who he is, and he, and he says this. He says, oh, foolish ones. <laughs> I love that. It gives me a reason to call somebody foolish. No, it doesn't, but it gives you the right to call me foolish, okay? Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Ta-da! Here's the answer to the whole story. It only took 2,000 years to write. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with the Bible Project? Have you seen? Okay, just Google. You can stop listening to me right now. Google the Bible Project. Watch these little animated videos that they do. Their tagline, they do animated videos of the different books of the Bible. They're working on the different books, and then they do themes also. Here's their tagline. They believe the Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus and has profound wisdom for the modern world. It's one story that leads to one hero. We do not just read the Bible to learn cool historic stuff. And you will learn some really cool historic stuff, right, if you've read much of the Bible. We don't just read it to get nuggets of wisdom. Will you get wisdom by reading the book? Yep, you will get all kind of really cool wisdom, good wisdom. Are you going to be able to develop a systematized theology and philosophy about life by reading the book? Yep, that will happen. It will help you do that. But none of this is the primary purpose for God breathing it into existence and preserving it for us, these ancient words. Why do we read it? To know the storyteller. Knowing him, we get to learn his heart and his purpose and then our purpose and who we are, but also we get to learn what went wrong with this project Something's not right. This whole story that he's telling is dealing with the big question of how do we get back on track? How is God going to reconcile things? How are we going to be saved? And not just saved like some hyper-spiritual thing, but saved from our self-love and our self-hate, our pride and our insecurity that is destroying us and decaying us towards death and hell. How are we going to be saved and rescued and restored? The story started with us turning our own way and rebelling against God's love and care. Thinking we could do a better job, which ushered us into this curse of isolation and death. The story begins this way. Then the story climaxes with this Jewish carpenter. He comes on the scene to embody the whole story. 
to fulfill what the story longed for, what the story was pointing to, while also revealing the storyteller. Oh my goodness, we get to meet the storyteller in person. And then how we are supposed to live, which we didn't. So when Jesus entered the narrative, he stepped into this conflict. And by taking on our humanity, he also took on this curse. In his execution, he suffered all the consequences of this curse. He took it into himself. He was the man, the perfect representative of man. He was the God who applied the curse, and he absorbed the curse into himself. And having suffered that, he was then raised to new life so that all who put their life into his hands... Okay, who is going to do that? Well, the only way that you're going to do that, if you find his life story more compelling and satisfying than your self-serving story. If you find that that's true, then you'll gladly give up your life and give it over to him. And if that is the case, these people, he says, are restored to God's love and are adopted into a new story, into a new humanity that begins working itself out right now in the world. And he promises will ultimately be realized on a final day. What does this mean? You are saved from the counterfeit stories that say, no one will fully love and care for you, so you better love yourself and make yourself more lovable if you're ever going to be okay. You hear that, right? You hear the echoes of that everywhere we go. The gospel saves us from this story. If instead we will soak in the whole story that reveals the hero in whom we can find our rest, we will be shaped into a kind of people who are strangely free to live in the world as self-giving lovers rather than self-centered lovers. And from this perspective, we go back to the Bible and we allow it to work on us to sharpen us, to cut us to pieces, to shape us, to teach us, to reprove us, correct and train us in real righteousness, not self-righteousness. All for our good, that we can be competent and complete, he says, and equipped for every good work, all kinds of good works, so that we can be a certain kind of people living out this unique story as we move into the world to do all kind of works. Whatever those works are, we get to go with a different storyline, and we live out our work in this different storyline. And this can happen because the story of Scripture is giving life. It's called the breath of God. Paul says we have been saturated in, and he wants us to be saturating ourselves in this breath. We are invited for the hero to breathe his life into us. As I've been, I've been meditating and thinking on this, breath is two ways, right? It breathes out, and it what? It breathes in. As we encounter Jesus, we are inhaled into his life of love and wholeness that exists in the community of the one God. (laughs) This is crazy. We're inhaled into the community of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, a love that is eternal and transformational. We're inhaled into this story. In the story and in his community of self-giving love, we are secured There is no more need to be enslaved to the emptiness of self-love. It's empty or self-hate or self-justification. 
When we soak in the better story, we are shaped and continually recentered by the story's hero. Father, as we listen to this and we reflect on the story and what that story is, the profound nature, I mean, we're just, we're just uh, skimming across the surface. We're just scratching the surface of what your story is of infinite beauty and greatness, Lord Jesus, of who you are and what you've come to do, your gospel, the good news of what you've accomplished for us that saves us from these false stories of self-love. Please save us from these false stories of self-love. And as you do so, rewrite our stories and may we carry you into the world for your good works, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I frequently forget to remind us of this. We have a prayer room out in the foyer. If there are things going on in your life, if God is working on you in light of what's happening in the worship service, and you want somebody to pray for you or with you, please utilize that space. Or grab the person next to you and sit down and pray with them. That's an okay thing to do as well. The way that we love Jesus is by living in a story that says he first loved you. That changes everything. May we go out believing this story and repenting in those areas where we haven't and returned to the fact that he first loved us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who have been loved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.